Welcome to the Rugby Bits podcast brought to you by bet.co.za. Thank you for listening wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and drop a five-star rating to share this podcast with the rugby world. And today we are actually all here for once in our lives. I've got Sean, I've got Jared, and I've got Cooks. No one's missing, no load shedding, no... Nothing is happening. We're all just bored and ready to talk some rugby. So finally, we can talk some talk through some some of the games from this weekend. We can set out some agendas, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of debating and laughing throughout this podcast. So today we don't have a first phase for this podcast, but we'll probably put one up during the week. So look out for that. We'll have we'll probably try to have another podcast to preview the weekend's games. But I think let's just go straight into it and start with you know, the big discussion point of the week. Cooks, Finn Russell versus Adam Hastings. Are you ready to 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 um to convert to an Adam Hastings fan? No, definitely not, because um <laughs> I mean, Finn Russell's still cooked on the weekend again. Um I think this him not traveling back and forth between uh was called Scotland and France is doing wonders for him. And um all, all I'm saying is Finn Russell won his rugby game on the weekend and the other person played for the other team in blue didn't. So it's a good start from our Finn agenda. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna start punchy with that. Let's we'll 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 park that when we talk about the Scottish game. But yeah, let's start with um the URC um games of the weekend. So, well, let's start with the South African games where we had two South African derbies this weekend. We had on Saturday the Lions faced the Stormers. The Stormers came back to win thirty one points to twenty two after falling behind during the, the the first half of the game. And then the Bulls also beat the Sharks um, at Loftus on, on their pink day, winning 40 points to 27. So, Sean, let's start with the, the Stormers versus Lions game. Um, good, good um, another man of the match performance for Mani Lebok. Um, he combined well with Sasha Ngomazulu for one of the tries. And, yeah, I, th- I mean, the Lions played really well um, in, the, in the first part of the game, but the Storms were able to come back. Yeah, hi uh, everyone. It's great to have everyone on board today. Um, yeah, it was it was an interesting game. I I thought there'd be more from the Lions, but I mean they put in a decent shot, and the Stormers eventually just um, pulled away. Um, Lebok had a really really good game. Like he's really like building on uh, on everything all the time, and um, it's it's great to see the Lions probably didn't capitalize on on the stormers start i think that's the stormers are sometimes wobbly in the beginning and then they kind of get everything straight up and and back in line and sort it out um and i think maybe the target for team should be to get on top of them early and kind of keep their foot on the throat a little bit um and the lions weren't able to do it um but yeah a couple of good performances from a number of the of the lions players as well it was uh it was a great great game to watch um and yeah there's a couple of youngsters that put their hands uh put their hands up again yeah i think this keep with the lion side of things it looks like a really good performance once again from the loose trio um that you took a fender frankie horn loose trio i think is getting more and more press and getting better and better with each game but Again, another moment of brilliance from Henku van Weyck for the try. Yeah, he he had a really good game. Again, he's classy. Like, you know, Jared, with your with your thread you put up on him and everything, I had a, I was having a watch, and I think the thing is is he he does make errors and he's got the speed to make up for it. But 
everyone makes errors, especially someone so young. The thing is, is it's not just his speed that helps him fix the errors. It's how quickly and how early on he recognizes that he's in a bad place or there's something not going according to his plan and he rectifies it. That That's only going to get better at 13 for him. Um, he's he's a great player. Like I, I've been tentative to jump on this. Like he's the next best, like 13 that, that we have, but it really fits in well with uh, with the Springbok setup right now with, with his age and with who we've got at the moment and how things are working out that it could really filter down nicely to get him to get him into the mix eventually and and have a look at him at 13 but you know a lot of times I, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts for the Springboks in the future on, on wing uh he's got the gas um to do it and he's got the the IQ to move into 13 if need be so it might be one of those slow integration spaces but but as superb talent yeah looking forward to seeing him in in the SAA team in November as well Jared were you going to say something about Tenku van Veek yeah, Sean, just join the harp train, man. Come on board. We're all here <laughs> to. This, this is not a Finn Russell versus Adam Hastings uh, conversation. Like, let's just all jump on the harp train for this boy. Him and Ron Fencer is, um, is. We've got some future in the Lions, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I love, I love it. I think he's great. I just the thing is, is I've got why well, I'm not jumping on the harp train is not because of him. It's because. Everyone was like, right, everyone get rid of Jesse Creel. He's terrible. We've got to put Henke van Veek in. And, and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> guys, that's silly. Like, um, Jesse that's, Creel has that's... Twitter haters. I'm so surprised. Jesse Creel is, <laughs> could be the second most hated Springbok behind Alton Yanchis. Like, it's bizarre. Um, but the thing is, um, the one thing that, I, that we are guaranteed when it comes to Springbok setup is the, the guys want good defenders. You must be a good mm. defender. You must be on top of your game. You are a defender, and then you can do everything else afterwards. That's why Jesse Creel is in the mix ahead of other players because his defense is top class. He's probably one of our best 13 defenders by, by far um, behind mm. Lukanya Arm. I don't think anyone can beat him in a Springbok jumper. Henke van Beek can, um, can come close, like, but he's obviously got time that he needs to put it in. But Defense yeah, he's like is seven as well. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's the bread and butter is the defense and the understanding of everything and all the other stuff comes secondary. And with Henko van Veek, he's got it all. I think everything is at a premium. I think his defense and his attack and his speed is at a premium. So that we're in a really, really, really great space. He's a very different player to Lukanya Am as well. Like he's quite a different style player. He's more, um, he's more exciting in terms of, I think he wants, he's very young. So he wants to get everything up and running ASAP where Lukanya has got a nice level head and he really strikes well, makes those decisions good. Where I think Yenko is going to take some time to be doing a lot of things to learn a, a few lessons, but I'm not, not on the train. He's class. No, I definitely agree with you. I, def- I mean, there's lots of space on that hype train. I think obviously with Henko van Veek, I think it's a thing of, you, you know, you know, Jared, like, and Sean, like, in South African rugby and South African Twitter, once like, Oak has a couple of bad games, it's got to be a springbok. I mean, um, like, that's, that's how it is. And Oaks will fight for him. But talking about young 13s, obviously with Hattenberg also in an SAA squad, 
What do you guys think? If, I mean, I, I mean, I still I know Hudson Boys been playing on the wing quite a bit, but I mean, I thought naturally he's a he's a thirteen. Do you not probably think any? The box are probably thinking with Hattenberg, you offer something a lot more different, especially on attack. I mean, I mean, he is, he is, he is a baller. I know that, I mean, Henk van Beek is as well as you come in attack, but he's sort of a different threat as to what Hattenberg offers. Do you, would you just be surprised to see Hattenberg in that 13 jersey in the SAA game? I think they're in for to make quite a big decision because I don't think Hattenberg is going as a winger. He surely has to be going as as a as a midfielder stroke outside back. The thing is, if I had to look at those two players physically and the way that they they play the game, initially I probably would have put Van Veek on the wing and Hartenberg at thirteen. But Van Veek has been head and shoulders the best thirteen, especially young thirteen at the moment. So we'll probably see Van Veek starting at 13 or probably have the inside line at 13 with um with Hartenberg maybe on the bench or on the wing and then shifting in but I'm um, I don't I don't see how they're not going to want to look at both of them at 13 unless there's been a discussion and kind of like an executive decision made that the one will be a 13 and the one will be a winger um moving forward um that's the only issue I see coming but there are unfortunately only two games. The 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 cool thing is is you um is at thirteen we we don't we don't have guys that need game time at thirteen uh, if for the spring box. So we've got two games where we could have two thirteens playing in the SAA side just to check things out. You know. Yeah, I I I think I think Sean, you're on the right track. I I, I would probably foresee that. Um, Van Veg plays at least the majority of the minutes at 13 and then Hartenberg either plays from the wing or maybe comes in later at 13 or whatever the situation may be. So, yeah, because there's also a bit of a, um, uh, a line <laughs> of people wanting to play at 10. Um, if, if Ngoma Zulu is the player that's sort of in between the two squads, um, from the Springbok squad, then you have um, Horsen and Lombard. Horsen and Lombard, obviously, can, they both can play um, in other back in, in other backline positions, Sasha as well. Gorno Hendricks also someone that can play twelve and fourteen. So yeah, it'll it'll be a it'll be interesting to see how they come together and it'll be a little bit of a mixed masala, but I think there might be a bit of tweaking and chopping and changing to see what what what's the best combination. But yeah, I could definitely see a situation, especially to try and give as much game time as possible to that maybe between the the tens that between the tens that one of the one of the ten options starts maybe at fifteen or someone like Jose can even play thirteen and or Sasha obviously can play twelve and then um the other maybe even a thirteen option comes off the bench and obviously trying to like combine you know the the different talents that are in that squad. The great thing about Horsen and, and Cornell Hendricks is is they can play multiple positions they're both experienced they're experienced spring box but they're also experienced players and with Horsen being able to play 10 12 13 and 15 Cornell being able to play 12 13 14 and 11 we're in a great position like in terms of them selecting players we're in a good position where we can have them slotting in the middle of whatever we do so 
if we want to start Ngomazulu at 12, then we can have Huisen at 10. We can have Gwenal Hendricks at 13. Um, you know, if we want to, if we want to start, um, say, Van Vake at 13 and we want to maybe um, have Libok or someone else, uh, maybe Johnny Lombard start at 10, then we can put Huisen or Hendricks at 12. So, you know, we, we can really balance out our backline really well. And it's exciting. I, I hope they do it. And I'm looking forward to seeing how they incorporate, incorporate what, uh, what they've got. Yeah. And then speaking of um, Springbok options, just coming from this game, of course, we mentioned Mani Lebok had a great game. Um, Gomazulu also, you know, stood well in defense, nine tackles at two turnovers as well. Yevon Rus. Um, also had quite a busy game himself. Um, Sean, out of the Springbok squad selections that played on Saturday, uh, who impressed you from the Stormer side? Well, I must say Evan Rose had a decent game. Um, he's uh, per, like, I never thought that he wasn't handy. I just wanted to see him tighten up a little bit more. Um, it was pretty handy all, all over the show. He did sort of wander off a little bit. So, so. I think Joe Dweber, um, interesting he's he's fighting for many positions at the moment um that's in the spring box the saa and the stormer side so that's on the other side of the coin is is an interesting one i think libok was was class gomazulu was class um he could be a little bit could i think he was a little bit there and thereabouts but pretty handy um but i think that the the libok and gomazulu Axis or, or 10 12 option could be a reality for the SAA side. Oh, that's very exciting. And yeah, if you combine that with the talents of Horsen around there, you have Hendricks you can throw in there, Lombard, Fassi. I mean, we've talked about Van Vek and Hartzenberg. That's yeah, something exciting to look forward to for those midweek games. Yeah. Let's move on to the match at Loftus, the Bulls versus Stormers game. The Bulls winning 40 points to 27. It was, yeah, it was was a very tight game, but then at the end, the Bulls was a, were able to just accelerate away from the Sharks in the last 20 minutes. Jared, let's go to you. I think the the one thing that's really stood out for me in this game is the performance of David Creel. I think he was just everywhere um, um, for the Bulls. And yeah, I think you summed it up well in your tweet that he's not probably the flashiest player in the world, but his skill set, his skill, yeah, his, his skills in each, every facet of the game is really high. Yeah. hundred percent. Salah. Like, oh yeah, I was trying to start the fan appreciate, uh, the Dave, David Creel fan appreciation club this weekend. And, uh, yeah, it seems like I uh, recruited a few members. Like when we spoke about the Springbok, uh, squads and the SA squads, I think his name did get mentioned and, yeah, we didn't really fight for him too hard, but I think he sort of, um, yeah, he went all um, Michael Jordan and took it personally out on the Sharks kind of thing. So I think he really stepped up and it, it's just remarkable. Every time he plays, every time I've seen him play this season in particular, he's played well and he's always been, he's probably been the Bulls' best backline player between him and Berger over the uh, this over the start of the season and he's played 12, he's played 15, he's played 14. I think he's even played 11. So yeah, he, he really, really impressed. And, uh, it was great to see Marcel Katsia get a try. I had to get it in nice and early boy. <laughs> yeah. Even, even your mic doesn't agree with you trying to sneak in Marcel Katsia in that conversation. 
<laughs> he has to. There should be like a fine whenever an unsolicited Marcel could see a comment or when Cooks mentions Finn Russell just randomly. It's basically like oh, me saying, Adam why, Hastings why was, has to um, it. <laughs> Yeah, it's basically like me trying to say, like, where, where, um, where's Ruan Pinar in the SAA squad? He's been the best performing line. At the Cheetahs, for sure. At least, at least, at least now, Vasokuti um, is going to Japan for a while. So I don't know what Jared's going to do for the next for the next couple of months. <laughs> and it's disappointing. They they only play like next year when they kick off the tournament. So we're just not going <laughs> to see him play for a while. <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, we can move to now just talking quickly about the loose trio situation for the Bulls because they. I think they've got something going now with. Um, you know, a good rotation of Kutsia van Staden low when he's back from injury and and, and Vierstjanka. And now obviously losing Marcel Kutsia has been easily um, their best player the last season and a quarter. Like that's going to be a big impact for the team. And again, he had a really good performance on Saturday um, for the Bulls. And I mean, yeah, he does everything that you need from him. You know, he carries well, he makes big tackles as well, and he's always a nuisance at the ruck. And I mean, look, Van Staden does replace a lot of that, but not everything because he's, you know, could see as, as more of an all-rounder, um, all-rounded um, loose, loose forward than, than, than what Van Staden is. And of course, we talked about this on the space on Friday about the Springbok squad selection. Jared, just in terms of, let's actually look a bit wide into that loose forward battle because it was quite interesting, yeah, or quite um, competitive from both sides. I mean, the Sharks obviously have some quality loose forwards themselves and the likes of Mutelezi and even um, James Fenter, I think, played well on Saturday. Yeah, I think they did. And uh, it's um, quite good for the Sharks in particular because they've got so many quality loose forwards, even when their Springboks are away. And none of them are really like guaranteed a spot. I think Mutelezi is probably the one player that you can say he's the nailed-on starter for, for the Sharks. But... Yeah, even Khaleesi, when they have all their options available, they need to decide whether they're going to start Khaleesi or have him come off the bench. And it's an embarrassment of riches. Like Dylan Richardson even had a, a really nice game, I thought. And yeah, Butelezi's try right at the end was was a great finish. And yeah, I can see why he's been called up to the Springbok squad or the SAA squad. Um with with his running game, I think we will use him quite wide. Um, and yeah, the, the Bulls uh, back trio also came in nicely into the game. I was shocked that Kutsia uh, got taken off so early. And um, yeah, I, I couldn't quite understand that, that call from Jake. And uh, I don't know if you guys have seen, but we seem to have also lost uh, Marco van Staden or there's a bit of an injury cloud over him with the Springboks. So... Yeah, we could get another change there. He um, it seems to have injured his ribs, him and um, Sabu and Kozi. Yeah, I, I, the, yeah, those were the two injury concerns, I think, from the Springbok squad um, for, for coming into this week. Um, injuries to Van Staden and Kozi. Probably only Van Staden would have um, maybe had a small chance of making the the squad against um, the squad for this weekend's test. But yeah, in terms of I think that might, if it's a serious injury, of course, that might open up opportunities for other players. I wonder, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of loose force to choose from in Zyvkin context, so there, there won't be any short, shortage of options, both in the loose trio and the wing. Yeah, I think um, just um, on quickly on, 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 on the Sharks loose trio, I think um, Vincent Tritukas adds so much to that loose trio. There's a lot more balance than there was 
um, last season. I think there's just that someone that is able to clear out rucks, make tackles, make himself busy the whole time. And, you know, can often a good lineout option as well. You know, Chituka is not necessarily built like, you know, Courtney Laws and, and Peter Steff and like those sort of lock, um, lock blindside flank hybrids, but he's able to do pretty much most of the things that they're able to do. And I think this offers a lot more balance than the, you know, um, the Sharks early in the season were playing Richardson and um, Fenter together in the flanks. And, you know, that was fine for certain matches, but you do need, you know, that person that is able to just clear bodies like, like Chituka does. So, you know, I think that's been a great, I mean, we know how good Vincent is and he's been a great addition to the Sharks. So that's been great. But the negative for the Sharks, um, Jared, is, yeah, I just watched that game and I'm still not sure what what the Sharks are trying to achieve when they have the ball in attack. I think it's still, I mean, that and the scrum, which, which struggled a lot more than I expected it to with, you know, um, two Springbok capped um, props in, in, in their scrum. Those, yeah, but mo- but focusing on the attack more, like it still is quite ponderous at times. Yeah, it, it didn't seem to be firing at all. Um, and I, I do have to wonder how much um, of an impact Jaden Hendricks's um, uh, absence had to do with it. And uh, yeah, it was weird to see that they didn't go and start Grant Williams after that. I, I thought that uh selection would have made a bit more sense and i i don't think cameron white played too badly i just thought that i i think grants is a better player than him so when you've lost so many spring bucks ahead of the match why not keep one that's uh there why don't keep him in the starting lineup or give him a start so i, I thought that was a bit odd um and then losing ben tapawai and um so early I don't think helped at all and yeah we also had Francois Fenter making his first start and I don't think he's been at the Sharks too long either I think he's been there about two weeks and yeah he's a quality player but it he did seem a bit uh un, unsure about things at, at times so I think there's a lot to work on with the Sharks but I've also just made a whole lot of excuses for them but uh yeah eventually the excuses will run out for the Sharks and they will have to start producing with the superstar team that they do have. Yeah, Jared, I agree with you. I, I just think with the Sharks, like you said, it's, 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 it, with them, it, it, it always feels like a constant change of players. I mean, and obviously, you know, they've brought in some of the front of Fenton, they've brought in the, like Ben Tapawa. I thought obviously he's a massive loss when he's not playing. Um, you can, but especially he goes off early. But my question, I think also the, the, there's another question on the Sharks that also looms large is the, what happens when Lionel Crony and, and um, Cohen Bosch comes back? I thought Buddha Chamberlain is slowly but surely, I mean, quietly had a, a solid campaign, URC campaign, and in some games he's been, he's been very, very good. So now, just another question, comes, then the, again, the shocks, that means if Bosch comes back, what happens to the, will they end up sticking with Buddha Chamberlain or will they have more change? And I think with the shock, it's going to be a season of dysfunctionality at times because I just think they're probably going to have to get to a point where they're going to find the best team and, and stick with those guys, especially in the backline, because I know like in the backline, like now Fassi is going to be leaving and Grant Williams is gone and Jaden is gone. And so it's more changes to come back when the, the box probably be back December for the Heineken Cup and for the, for the Ruben Cup. But, and then from there, it's what, what, what teams they play then. So I, I think it's going to be 
look, look totally you said like sometimes you don't know what the sharks look like on attack. I think it's just, the sharks are, are going to be the definition of of horses for courses because it kind of feels like they've built a squad that covers every single base. If they want to be more attacking, they can throw in Lukanya Arm. If they want to be not as attacking, they can throw you know the likes of Franz Fenter and things like that and more. So it's, so it's like so it kind of looks like it feels like they, they got guys for different situations. Especially like when they lose, is how they pick them. And I think that's that's kind of going to be how the shock season goes. Yeah, I think a big thing that the Sharks will have to do once they get their players back, and obviously within the parameters of the um, sort of the resting program that the Springboks have, is to try and play their best team in as many games as possible. So just get that um, go get those combinations going because it does seem a bit disjointed after a phase or two. So the Sharks have, I think, started to add, you know, um, the, a pot of forwards and the pass out the back into um, Chamberlain looping um, around. And I mean, that's fine, but, you know, you do need a bit of, you do need that um, chemistry to to make those things work so that people can come into the line at the right time and and come in at pace and all that sort of stuff. It does also look like that after the first phase or two, it becomes a find Apelele fussy to do something and to try and break the game open. So it's still s- sort of the same problems. And But Jared, and I think you've also mentioned Cook, some decent excuses why in terms of new players and being integrated. But I think what they have to do in that December period when they have Champions Cup and, and uh, URC games is as far as possible, try to play their team as consistently as possible. So get, you know, I would back Chamberlain, Chamberlain for example, get him to play at 10 for, for most of the month, you know, assuming Am doesn't come back until the start of next year, get Fenter and Ron Janssen van Rensburg together, try to play the Kolisi Chituka, um, Mutelezi, Luz Trio together, like just get some cohesiveness into the team. I think that will help. And I mean, I think it it kind of showed also in the in the set piece because, um, yeah, I mean partly the set piece has been an issue for the sharks, but it doesn't help that like the sh- the blocks are changing re- like close to every week. You know, with Andrews Krobler playing, um, you have Yuhu also in in the in the mix as well. Of course, Eben Etzebeth. So those things all need to come together because I think a lot of the issues that the sharks have is just down to cohesiveness. Um, sidebar, um, <laughs> I was w- listening, I was watching the game on the closer commentary and they are not fans of Hiron Andrews. I'm not sure why. I, I don't know what, what the big guy did to them. I think he's obviously a decent player, but obviously has his limitations, but they were not feeling that guy at all in this game. So what options were they giving? Uh, were they, did they want him off the field for someone else or were they just not oh, yeah. having any of Oh, them? yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> pretty much amazing. at like... 40 minutes, they were like, no, Andrew's, his, his tank is empty. He needs to go off. And I'm like, I guess, but like, I think there's other options for this as well. They really loved Khaban Khobla though, which is quite funny. But um, yeah, they were not feeling Andrew's. <laughs> I was like, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm a bit sympathetic to Hiron, but I didn't see anything that he did um, that was egregious in the game. But yeah, they were not feeling him. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, Sean Everett, he might have to listen to those people if you want some advice. Yeah, I, I, I find that odd because I can only think of one thing that he really did badly, and that's uh, they went up to form the one driving more, and he went ahead and gave away a penalty for obstruction. 
because he made contact with the Bulls before before um, they made contact with him. So that's the only thing I can think of. But <laughs> poor Aaron, man. Yeah, you won't have you won't always have fans. There was that one. There was a clean out that he failed to execute on Cornell Hendricks, and then the Bulls got a turnover. So it was a bit like one of those like clean out attempts where you make contact but you just flop over. So yeah, Andrews didn't cover himself in glory there as well. Just on the Bulls side, I mean, the Bulls had a really good performance, and yeah, it is a bit Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde um, from the Bulls because you know the last few weeks they looked quite you know pedestrian in 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 europe but now jared it, you know they're back at loftus they're back on the hard field now you know they're getting a lot more pace into their game they're getting the force to to come around the corner and to make big carries i think it's partly obviously you know playing at loftus and, and just playing on a hard track they i think their game is made for that but i think choosing the front row that they did helped a lot because i think they just Picked better scrummages. They obviously picked Bismarck, who's a better hooker at this stage than Vessels. I think that helped them get, you know, establish some 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 momentum in the game, and then for them to be able to take it over at the end. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right, Salah. Normally, uh, everything starts up front, but uh, I think with this Bulls team, it might have started at the back with Johan Horsen leading the charge. And uh, we all know that he just loves to speak Afrikaans, bra, and play rugby. So he can only do that when he's in Pretoria. He can't do that when he's in Italy. So I, th- I think that made a big difference. And he, he actually had a really, really good game. Um, I think you spot on that Bismarck, uh, like, led... Led the charge with uh, the, with the pack. I think he we uh, a hooker scrummaging always goes under the radar a bit, and um, he's sort of well renowned for his scrummaging ability. And I think that helped with uh, the that helped with Klopper and Stienekamp to to get the better of Detroit and Oshunu. So yeah, I, I, the Bulls pack showed up after being quite anonymous over the last month or so. Yeah, they definitely did. I think Hosen had a really good game at 15. I think he showed why he's probably more suited for the Springbok purposes to be an outside back than an inside back. Like just his ability to join the line and to link up with his outside backs is really good, as we saw with some of the tries on Saturday. And yeah, just that turn of pace that he has when he comes around the corner, I think it's something that t- that should be used um, out back. Zach Berger, I think... I don't think there's many scrum offs better in the world than him on a on a bulls on a on on at Loftus Fastfeld on a dry on a dry day. Yeah, and people seem to buy his dummies as well, which uh, is surprising. Like <laughs> a, a lot of guys don't fall for dummies nowadays, and he just every single time he seems to sell it. Um, I also we have to talk about that Horsen um, pass to Stravino Jacobs seller. Uh, I, th- I thought that was brilliant. Like he, the way he stuck his arm out like that to make it incredibly obvious that he was passing backwards while Jacobs was actually in front of him. I, th- I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I see why, like after watching it a few times, I kind of see why they judged it to be backwards. It's just one of those where I know the laws, like it has come out of the hand backwards, but you know, if it looks forward, which obviously a lot of passes do physics, blah, 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 blah. But like, it just looks so like almost egregiously forward. You just are like, no, that can't be allowed. But yeah, I mean, credit and like you, I think mentioned on Twitter, Jared, credit to Horson on just exploiting the laws quite well in terms of just extending that arm forward in order to, you know, 
make it look as backwards-ish as possible. Cooks? I just think uh, most ref must 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 employ a, if if it, if it's like that marginal way, like that margin like goes backwards and forwards. The quality of the pass has got to depend. You know, like you know, like in in rugby league, they've got this. Um, if it goes upstairs and like the, there's no there's there's no clear obvious so that there's a bit of debate and the doubt, they they give a, a benefit of the doubt call. It, it, it normally goes to attack. I think you should add that for for forward passes. Like if it's like a behind the back pass or a pass like that, you always be like, you know what? It's not forward. Play on. Reward the skill. Reward the skill. So, Cooks, it's like in Super Rugby. If the try is sexy enough, the uh, pass wasn't forced. It was Super Rugby flat. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that's why. I mean, that, that's why. That's why Super Rugby they, they've abandoned all, all tackling as well. It's, it's all about sexy tries and and, and bands. Who needs good defense? <laughs> sexy tries and big hits. Um, Cooks, actually, one more thing I need your opinion on. Um, and yeah, actually, yeah, and Jared. After that, look. If if Chamberlain's going to be taken as a as a first choice fly half, I think he needs to be known as Henry. He, this butter thing, I don't think works for a, a South African fly half. Like, yeah, I don't know if we if other countries or other teams will take us seriously if there's a butter Chamberlain that's leading one of our best sides. So I think he needs to permanently change to Henry or cut the mallet off. I mean, that's that's the other option. Like <laughs> one yeah. of the two. Come and put a chair. Come and put a Chamberlain and have a mallet. Like you, 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 you've got to sit down and and sort of and sort of choose. On. I, I'm happy to fight for Butter or or the mullet, but I don't I don't know if I don't know if I can do both. I don't know if I can have it within me to do to, to to defend both. If if he was a back row or, or a second row, we could accept it. But as a fly half, I don't think it's acceptable. I think there has to be we have to draw a line somewhere. Like if it's a pack boy, we can go for it. Or yeah, not not a fly off. Yeah, you can't have like those sort of like nicknames and, and, and especially at fly half, I think that you have to be taken with a bit of respect and seriousness there. Um, let's move to just quickly going through the, the other URC results. Um, Glasgow beat Benetton 37 points to nil. Leinster beat Scarlets 35 points to five after scoring a try after 45 seconds. We've talked about the Storms beating the Lions 31-22. Dragons beat Zebra 47 points to seven. Um, I'm going to come back to the Ulster game. Um, Connacht beat Osprey um, 22 points to 19. And then um, Edinburgh beat Cardiff 25 points to 17 away from home. Sean, I think you had a, a, an eye on the Munster-Ulster game, a very tight game. Um, Ulster wins their first game at, um, at Thorman Park, I think, you know, in the last few years, if I'm not mistaken. And a big turnover by a certain South African number eight at the end. Yeah, it's their first win in eight years at Tom and Park. Dwayne Vermeulen had a great game. He was involved in, he was in the middle of it from the opening whistle. Um, he wasn't rampaging, but he was choosing his moments. I know Jared's spoken about it a lot and we've all looked at it. He's, he picks his moments, he picks them well. There is a slightly controversial moment um, where he and one of the other guys were having a little bit of a get to know each other session on the ground and it looks like he maybe makes contact with his eye so there's talk of a possible um sighting which we will find out uh, obviously early in the week but that's aside whether it's something or not I, I can't i didn't really see it but that aside Dwayne Vermeulen had a great game it was it was a a good game to watch Ulster Hung on in the end, they really, they really looked like 
they were they were up for it. They looked like they might pull away a little bit. Um, I had a look at the sides when they were announced, and I thought Ulster could probably roll them, and I knew it would be big. And I just thought Ulster had just when I, I saw the sides named and everything, I thought you know they've kind of got it, they've got the goods there. But then realizing that they just come off uh, a week on on the shitter in 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 South Africa, so I thought maybe it probably wouldn't be wouldn't they wouldn't be able to last the whole way. But Luke Marshall's having a great season um, at centre um, for Ulster. He really he's he's been putting he's been putting in a number of good performances. And James Hume's come back, and he's a he's a beast. Um, you know, we all know what what he's what he's good what he's good for. Um, Billy Burns was so so. I thought I think he missed a kick to touch, but the youngster for Munster, Jack Crowley, pretty handy. Paddy Patterson at nine for Munster, pretty good. But when you looked at the the loose trio of Ulster, Jordy Murphy was named on the bench. Um, it was a late call up yet to come into the starting lineup. You've got Jordy Murphy and Dwayne Vermeulen in your loose trio. You really could do a hell of a lot worse. Those are two legends of the game. Um, and they are they know their way around a rugby field. So um and they both put in a good performance. Great, great win for Ulster. Yeah, and just a also a quick shout out to Edwin Dogbo, who made 24 tackles in the game. I mean, the, the 19-year-old hooker is amazing. He's a beast. He's a beast. He he's incredible, and I I can't I, I I'm so glad you brought him up. He's oh man, he's big, he's strong. He he's he seems so calm on the field, like he doesn't seem to get angry or rattled. Even when Dwayne Vermeulen and one of the monster guys were having words, he didn't come and dive in on anyone. He just basically bear hugged Dwayne Vermeulen to try and lift him off, and almost got it right. Like the man is a beast. He's got. He's got plates for hands and uh, he's got a flipping mature rugby brain already for someone who's 19. That, that kid is going far. Yeah, I, I, would, not, I would not say no if Andy Farrell um, um, like picked him in the Irish squad already. I think especially Ireland always looking for that like big lock, that sort of like war skeleton type of repellent. Um, yeah, Benet Smith type of repellent. Dogbo could definitely grow into that in the future. I think, yeah, and yeah, big shout out to James Hume for coming back. Let's go to the test matches. So there were two autumn international matches that happened this weekend. Um, the Australians and New Zealanders both played Australia, played Scotland, and won 16 points to 15 in Murrayfield. But let's start with the All Blacks winning 38 points to 31 against Japan. Bit of a seesaw battle, and New Zealand was just able to hold on and to take things home. Yeah, this match had a little bit of everything in it. Um, some good things, some <laughs> a horrible red card for Brady Retallick as well. Um, let's start with you, Cooks. Yeah, is it sort of back to bad New Zealand, a little bit of inconsistencies in their game, and yeah, looking a bit vulnerable at times? What What's going on with New Zealand? Yeah, it was... It's, it's it's so hard to make what's happening at the All Blacks at the moment. I know a lot of people look at it like, yeah, they made quite a few changes and there's like Ben Eno and Rich Mwongo and they were on the flanks and they mixed up the loose trio, but it's weird. Like, you know, even in the All Blacks sort of, I mean, they scored a couple of good tries in the stage. I think they were up about, about 10 to 12 points. And not one time did I feel comfortable or, or they looked comfortable. 
And um, I, I, I'm trying to put my finger on it. I, I, I just think maybe, yeah, like it's hard to say it's good, good or bad or August. I just think they're an inconsistent side who can turn it up on their day. And, 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 and I thought this weekend that I thought Japan was very good. I thought um, the, I thought they had chances to win that game. I thought they defended very well. I thought, yeah, I mean, no, we spoke about it leading up to, I mean, off air, but, oh, geez, man, some of the referee calls that, that came out on the weekend, like the, the skew throw for the All Blacks' first try, I mean, that's a momentum killer. You look at you look at that, if that skew throw, which the linesman still, you could see him almost to the referee saying skew, like if that gets called, it's not 7-0 there. I mean, in Japan, I kept the All Blacks twice up. Then it could be a different game, you know what I mean? But like it's, yeah, so the, <laughs> the All Blacks are at the moment, are it, just, it sort of feels like a side that... Um, they can still put away. They can still win the the odd, the odd big game here and there. Still, still score some crack of trials if needs be. The one, I mean, the civil trial trials that set piece of a line out. I mean, that's as best as you can. So it was all positive. I mean, I thought you know, seeing, I thought Tui was a shake show what he can do at all. Um, he had nice little touches, but yeah, I think with the All Blacks, I think it's it's so hard to gauge where they are because they could just go and run down and win the next four games on tour. And then go lose to Argentina come next year again. So you actually don't know what to make of that side. Yeah, I think it's almost yeah. Like I, you, you wouldn't be too surprised also if they lose next week to Wales and then beat the rest of their teams. Like yeah, I yeah, I'm 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 feeling very strongly that probably Wales, but possibly Scotland. One of those two will get like their first win in like a very very long time against New Zealand in this tour. It's best time to do it. Not Scotland. It <laughs> <laughs> Scotland have a Scotland have a class uh, flower off in this from this week onwards. So I think they can do it. Man. Did you see? <laughs> did you see how they were carving it up from ten this weekend? Incredible, <laughs> incredible stuff. <laughs> And, and that's the second best uh, flower half that they that they've picked. <laughs> the other one was playing the Premiership this weekend, wasn't he? Amazing yeah, playing the Premiership good. for sure. <laughs> if it is got, it cannot be Scotland. Scotland cannot win a test this whole window. It has to imagine. Happen. Imagine Blake Kinghorn wins the game for for Scotland against New Zealand. Finn uh, Russell will just have to go to Japan. I think there's no other choice. No, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And even <laughs> yeah, imagine if they do it without Hog as well. Then yes, he, then there will be a fallout, man. Your cat amongst pigeons for sure. But let's keep on this Japan least, Japan game. So if they do if at least if Scotland does do it against the All Blacks, the boys will be back in just 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 in curfew time as well, knowing Hogs and Russell's fanatic antics <laughs> after dueling. So the boys will be back on time. So there's a win win if they do anyway for, for Gregor Townsend. <laughs> oh yeah okay let's we're gonna come to scotland in a few moments jared i think just from the japanese side i think two very impressive players was kazuki himeno i think we all know how great he is and but also dylan riley i think he at least for me he was a player i was not aware of until the the july um tour that france had but he seemed to have um he played really well on that tour and was a really big physical presence in the midfield and he seems to cont- have continued that in this test match yeah, he's uh, really taken to the Japanese um, setup quite well, and uh, yeah, I've I've seen him a bit um, when Damien was playing at uh, the Wild Knights. It was him that was outside of him, so I would I saw a few bits of his play when going to look at what uh, Damien got up to on the weekend, kind of thing. So yeah, I, I thought he was impressive. I thought the um, lock. Um, 
Stearns was also very, very good. He got that uh, charge down try. Um, that's nice that the Japanese have some nice uh, big boys in the, in the pack that can yeah get them to that level where they need to be, especially in the lineouts. But yeah, yeah, hundred percent right. Himeno is just yeah, the man is flipping world class. And yeah, we can. I'm going to throw it there, Tala. I know you we've been having the chat about world class, but he he really is like he plays six, seven, and eight. And yeah, he's he's the Japanese Marcel Katsia. There we go. Sure, I, that's such a mean thing to say to him. I mean, he does get selected <laughs> for his international team at least regularly. Yeah, and if uh, if Marcel Kutsia <laughs> was Japanese, he would be chosen for them as well all the time. Yeah, off the bench for him and a. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah no, but he is he is he's very good. Uh, I think he's very much borderline that sort of world-class standard. And I mean, like at least in the world cup in the 2019 world cup, he was definitely in that conversation. I, I, I also, I haven't seen too much of their fly off. I don't know if he just hasn't had a standout game for me. Um, but I, I thought he was great as well against New Zealand. Like he was very calm throughout and he seemed to run their attack with, with little fuss. Yeah. Takuya Yamasawa. I think he's, yeah, he's, he played a little bit and oh, he did play in the French series as well. I think they are sort of transitioning into him. But yeah, he, he, I think he is quite tidy there. Sean? One, one thing about him, though, um, he, he's accurate and solid off the tee. If I'm not mistaken, he kicked all his kicks or maybe he missed one. But um, very, very handy. Um, he, was, he was slotting almost all the kicks. So that's a, it's a great start for your 10, you know? Um, gents, uh, f- f- going to the New Zealand side because I mean, well, okay, so Japan's going to play England this weekend, and yeah, uh, as um, <laughs> as as Jamie Joseph mentioned, England will be a much stricter test for for Japan than than the, than the All Blacks were. That's very naughty by him. But on the New Zealand side of things, they are probably going to lose Brody Retallick to a to a suspension. Do we have any idea about the, if the Barretts are going to come back this week? Savia, all the players that will start this week. Yeah, the they all they, pretty much back, aren't they? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah they are, I was going to say they have to get them back because they've lost Sam Kane and Dan Coles, the grub. Um, but they, um, uh, I, to be honest, I don't think losing Coles is a is a massive thing. I don't think he should be. Uh, he's not in their top two hookers at the moment, so um, it's probably a blessing in disguise. But they lose Sam Kane as well, so they they're already scrambling. You know, they've they're going to lose Kane, Retallick, so they're going to have to get the Barretts back because they're going to need um, a Scott to to fill in somewhere, you know? If I'm not mistaken, the Barretts were um, in Japan for uh, during the game kind of thing, and uh, it's just that they arrived yes, they late arrived in the, the day. The yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah they were, uh, there's uh, a photo of them, but all three of them on, a, on, on bikes, you know? flushing out the legs so they're definitely rejoined they'll definitely be available if there's no injuries yeah and and sean i agree with you i think uh getting calls out of the squad is an upgrade but uh they still have cody taylor in there so there still is a worse hooker in uh the all black squad than dane calls at the moment and yeah a handy replacement yeah cody taylor is is in on bad form he's not a bad hooker that guy, he's he's like, 
he's just having a bad run of form. You can't say that he's a bad hooker. He I, was I comfortably I haven't seen a the best in the world a, for a while. I haven't seen a player dip this much in one season in my life. Like yes. uh, he, he's, yes. he's gone from I being agree. in the top <laughs> bracket of hookers in world rugby to maybe the fourth choice that New Zealand should be picking. Like they're picking him because of his test and caps that, and they rubbish at the moment. Otherwise, I suffer. No, he was only selected team. because he was only selected because <laughs> there was no other hookers to pick. <laughs> and there was, and they go I, and let I Liam Coleman go his to Leon. I know uh, his drop off has been. I mean, they were talking about him finishing his career being being the best All Black hooker if he just carries on doing his thing. He would have finished probably one of the best All, all Black hookers ever. And now he's gone down to whether we're worried he's going to miss out on a super rugby contract. <laughs> and and he's he's added like six more caps since that uh, test two loss to Ireland. I thought his career was done after that game. Like to, to me, I wouldn't have picked him. And he just, he's added like six or seven caps this year since then. <laughs> he's too classy. It's basically, it's basically like seeing... Malcolm Marks or Bongi Manambi go into such bad form that we don't select him in the squad. Like, you don't not do that. Like, Cody Taylor is brilliant. He's just having a bad season. But the, the, <laughs> the shit-good ratio of, of his form is, is something that has never been seen in rugby before. Yeah, it's very interesting to see what happens with the All Black squad or uh, the team named this week. I think we didn't mention them, but Will Jordan and Lester Fanganuku also stayed at home. I don't know if they'll be able to join the squad um, in time for, for, for Saturday. So that's, yeah, also back three issues there. And then... F- Fanganuku's um, out. I think he's out he for out? the rest okay. of November, but oh, I know okay. he's out this week. Yeah, because Mark Talay is in the squad. And yeah, interesting to see that um, Roger Tuivasa-Shek, you know, Cooks mentioned he had a pretty good game. He's now been, I guess, demoted in a sense to the All Blacks XV team that's going to play against Ireland A on, on, on the week. So that's him, Damien McKenzie and Patrick Tiripolotu. I mean, very good players and they're going to play against a very strong Ireland A team. But yeah, I think RTS still has quite a bit to prove if he wants to be a, a, a regular for the All Blacks. Uh, I'd have an issue with that decision, but uh, Anton Leonard-Brown made his comeback this weekend, so it looks very much like they'll probably start him at 12. And Tala, you also left out uh, your favorite um, All Black sense, Braden Enor, in that conversation. He's also been dropped to, to the All Blacks 15. Now there's oh, man, a guy. That's a, there's that's a, guy a mighty like team player. You, he's lucky to be on tour. <laughs> Sorry, there's no way you're going to say that Brandon Eno's lucky to be on tour when you mentioned Fergus, Fergus Burke a week ago. So leave Brandon Eno alone, <laughs> please, Tyler. Please leave Brandon Eno alone. If, if Stephen, if, if Stephen Perifet is playing, he's in the mix. Fergus Black's in the mix. Brandon Eno is more than capable of becoming all black. Please. Oh, this, this I don't know. Let's not do this. The on, standards, on, have, the standards have dropped at the All Blacks. If Braden Enmore and Stephen Perifet are getting serious minutes for the All Blacks, it's it's getting very, very scary hours for the All Blacks. feels like this podcast has turned into the All Blacks uh, Comedy Central Roast Show. So which player do you guys want to put <laughs> next up for, <laughs> for, some, for some slander? <laughs> 
No, it's hectic. The thing is, I, I've uh, I, I got I got burned in Eno stocks very very early when I still when I still under twenty, and I, I've got about <laughs> I've got about one or two left before I sell them. I'm I'm, I'm about to. I'm just I'm just I'm just keeping one. You must have lost a lot of money, just, eh? Tons, tons. It's, it's, it's been like a like an like an Apple Steve Jobs experiment. If I if I do cash it on one, <laughs> it's gonna be amazing. That's I'm holding on. <laughs> but like I'm on the I think I'm I'm one more super season away from like okay, I, I need to sell my stocks now. Sell your stocks on Canterbury Dan Duplessis, please, Cox. Do it for me, man. <laughs> they might be gone. I think playing in the Oblex XV now. <laughs> yeah but yeah so be very interesting i think um yeah i, I think we'll, we'll maybe not necessarily we'll talk about it in, uh, late in the week in the preview but if there is a chance for wales to spring a surprise on the all blacks it's saturday i think there's going to be a few challenges that the all blacks will have on this tour let's move to the other game so that is um, Scotland um, losing in the last few moments against Australia. Scotland built up a, a healthy lead, 15 points to, to five, and then Australia came back in the third quarter and yeah, and they were able to 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 get the lead in the last 10 minutes. Scotland had, Blake Kinghorn had the penalty to win it at the end, but unfortunately he missed it. Jared, I think the, yeah, it was a, <laughs> it, it was a, yeah, it wasn't the best game in the world. To, to put it nicely, but I think the one thing that can be taken out of this game for both teams is both of them are very inconsistent. Like they'll have a good 20 minutes and then they'll be absolutely horrible for another 20 minutes. And I think both teams have to sort out some of their, yeah, there's some positional things that both teams have to sort out in this November tour because, yeah, some of the players that have been backed in some of the key positions, be it scrum half or, you know, in the halfbacks or in the centers or, um, wherever they they didn't produce the goods on Saturday. Yeah, Tala, I think I think you're 100 right. It it was two very inconsistent teams taking on one another. Like the the Wallabies, um, like dominated with ball in hand, uh, but were rubbish at the breakdown. So somebody like Rob Valentini would get over their vantage line, like, and then all of a sudden Jamie Ritchie's coming out of the uh, breakdown with the ball. So. Yeah, it was a really mixed match kind of game. Like even um, Scotland's tried or came off of a Bernard Foley mistake where he just, he fumbled the ball and like just forgot that he could dive on it. So King Orton just pounced on it and went and scored. And yes, it's an incredible pace for uh, from from King Orton to get there and score that one. And yeah, I think one of the big takeaways Australia can can do from this game is that they know now that if you need to kick the ball out to win the match, give the ball to Nick Watts. I think that's the that's the main lesson they must take away from it. Oh, guys, Nick White is in the top two scrum halves in the world. And by top two, I mean comfortably. You guys can fight out who you feel number one or number two is. I don't really care. But Nick White is pure class i just want to add one other thing i hate that the referees are coaching the players i hate that the referee was saying to the wallabies and to nick white going you cannot kick this ball out on the full because it won't be full time you have to make sure it touches the ground first like that's the kind of stuff that they shouldn't be doing that is not that's not the referee's job a referee's job and unfortunately we do it a lot with like 
um, roll away tackler or use it nine. It should be the ball's available and five seconds later, thanks for coming and, and all that. Like telling players um, penalty to end the game. Oh, if you want to end the game, you must tap and kick out. That They shouldn't be doing that. Anyway, sorry, my rant, my rant is over. Nick White, top two scrum offs in the world by far. Yeah, I think Australia, they, they probably would say they are justified a bit of luck and a bit of leniency from a ref um, at the end of a game after you, what happened at Bledisloe 1. So they were probably just, <laughs> there was probably a little bit of a balancing of the books there. But yeah, I think that was, it was quite a nice contrast to what happened on, on, on that game. I think White was constantly communicating with the ref to see where, what's happening and, and like where he is. And I think if I'm not mistaken, um, Sharky, I think it, the, the, the instruct or the, the explanation from the ref came after White asked. So I think it was good to engage the ref so that like he puts the ref at, at like at knowledge about what he's about to do. And I think he sort of managed that situation a lot better than what happened at Bledisloe one. So I guess the Australians are learning um, about how to manage these end of game situations. Oh yeah, definitely. I think, but I was thinking like with that even, I mean, that's, that's probably one of the smartest players you, you, I've seen on rugby field for a long time. But um, Tully, you mentioned both, at the start of your, you mentioned Australia and Scotland, they're both inconsistent sides, but it, it's, it's such a, a weird thing. I mean, obviously, Scotland, it, it always feels like they're building, it always feels like they're sort of trying to add things, but, you know, after, I'd say, what's it, four or five years under the Townsend regime, you sort of feel like they need to get some sort of purchase. Um, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a pity of a player king or would miss that kick, which anyone would have missed out. But I thought he still had a strong game considering considering everything he had gone through in the week with obviously his fin playing and not playing. But I, I, with Scotland and Gregor Town, it's sort of, it, 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 it starts to feel now like, when are they going to turn that corner? Because, I mean, you hear that tweet other time about look, even with Finn, they, they always, they, they, they beat England every year. But when are they actually going to you know, start coming around the corner and make that corner, make that run? At least the Wallabies, it's like they all seem consistent. But I've always felt with under the David Rennie regime that they, they look like a side that's almost building a lot more for 2027 as opposed to 2023. I think with them obviously hosting the World Cup as well. I think next year they can. I think if if the Wallabies are to make a deep run into the into the into in the World Cup, it will it'll be quite surprising since they started with the inconsistencies they have and they struggle to put together two good performance in a row, but it's all weird that like, we take two sides where the Wallabies still feel like they're still building a journey with it, where Scotland is like, okay, cool, how long are we going to keep doing this for? How long are we going to keep on? Yes, yes, we should have won. Oh, but they're also building, they've added this. I just think like with Scotland, something's got to give, especially in this window coming up now. And the number of, the number of tight losses when you... They always keep on. They always keep finding ways to lose. Because I think that game on the weekend is a game, especially at home, is a game that they should have won. Yeah, and I think it follows from what happened in July in Argentina. Like they conspired to lose that game. Um, in the last quarter as well, and just sort of allowed Argentina to come back and to win. Um, at the buzzer or at the hooter. So yeah, there is something. I guess it's similar in in the sense with Australia because it's both teams that are sort of in the growth stage. But the only difference is that, you know, Australia can go sort of behind and say, look, you know, our team is relatively young. Scotland's team's not that young. And I mean, apart from obviously the 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 overseas players that will miss this weekend, 
you know, it is still a team full of experienced players. So it is a bit, um, yeah, it's concerning that they're not able to manage these um, late game situations because it, it was weird watching them in the last quarter. I mean, it started with that yellow card that probably should have been a red card um, for, 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 for Grant Young for that clean out on Tate McDermott where it was only pushed down to a yellow because he hit him with his bicep. I don't understand that from um, Luke Pierce. But then after that, almost every phase, they had, some, they had issues at the lineup, they had issues with the kicking, they had issues with the handling, and it just compounded itself. And there was just not that experienced person to calm things down. And I mean, as much as, you know, the, 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 the Finn Force or the Finn Church, whatever you want to call it, was calling for him after the end of the game, and I'm not saying that Blake King won't a good game at all, but we've seen them you know, the Finn Russells and the Skewed Hogs make horrible hashes of, of the end of games when they're in the team. So something has to give. And, you know, if, you know, if these players, especially the Scottish players, are as good as we think they are, the likes of Watson and Russell and Harris and, 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 and Hogg, you know, they're, they're British and Irish Lions. They're the first big batch of Lions that they've had in, in, in years. If they're as good as, we, as they say they are, they need to be better at managing the end of games. And, to win these games that they're supposed to win or like to sneak the, like these 50, 50 games and they just weren't. But yeah, I think at least on the Australian side, it's good to come out of um, the, 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 yeah, to come out on, on the winning side of these sorts of games after what happened against the All Blacks um, a, a month or two, a month back. So I guess that's good confidence for them. And yeah, the Wallabies seem to be a, a team now that, you know, especially because they have a, a, a horrible tour coming up. They're literally playing England's Six Nations schedule, playing the five other Six Nations teams um, five weeks in a row. And, you know, I, I was saying on Twitter that if they lost the Scottish game, I could, de- I could definitely see a world where they lose the other four matches and just, you know, f- you know, the losses compounding on each other and even Italy fancying their chances against them. But now that they've won this game, you know, yeah, I could definitely see them getting three matches, three out of five wins, and maybe even four if they could sneak a, a performance maybe against France in this first week. So I'm hoping that this is, yeah, uh, but we, I think we know better now than to um, praise the false dawns of these two teams especially. I think they're just going to be, at least for the next two years, like Cook said, they're probably building for beyond 2023. They'll be just two teams that are just a bit up and down. But it's funny, I feel a lot better about Rennie and him losing and having like a 40, I think 40% win record than I do about um, Gregor Townsend, who probably has a higher win percentage. But it just seems like, I think it's because there's it's more experienced players. And also Townsend, it does seem like there is some personal issues that he has with, you know, some of his best players, of course. I just think, yeah, like... Four years, I mean, four years ago, obviously um, Scotland lost in the group stages, and now they're sort of in a harder group with Ireland and and the Springboks, and they 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 could they could have arguably they could they should I mean they're not favourites to get through the group, but when you look at that four year span, you look at it differently. Like what has changed from that from twenty nineteen twenty three, and it's and it's and and, and it's not much, you know, because it felt like they still got a little bit backwards. They're still not winning the big games. The thing has changed that they just know how to beat England week in and week out. If the World Cup was and and the job was pretty good on, on beating England, he would be he would be, he'd be the best coach in the world. But even with Australia, I know they got the world's most terrible schedule. But like, if I'm coaching a young team, it's kind of a schedule that you kind of want. It, it's sort of exposing sort of the, the youngsters into 
into tough situations, sort of gauging them. That's how I'm so surprised he, he, he was playing someone like Bernard Foley. I'll still go with someone like uh, with Lolasio for this campaign. You want to have him in that mix. Play him in Europe. Let him play five games in Europe. Let him build, sort of build your test side and sort of, I, it's a weird, it's so weird the Wallabies. I know they play France next week. They shouldn't win that game, but if they win, I wouldn't be surprised. That's how I feel of the Wallabies, this young Wallabies side. If they do win, I wouldn't be surprised they win a big game. But also, if they lose by 40 points, I also wouldn't be surprised as well. And I think that's also scares me with them in the World Cup. They could just, you just don't want to catch them in the semi-final or catch them in the quarter-final. Especially, they might be going the, 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 easier, the, the easier route in the playoffs. Yeah, I think things are setting up quite nicely for them in that sense. And yeah, I mean, like I said, it wouldn't be surprising if they do somehow, you know, turn up. Like the Australians are the type of team right now where you could see them winning as France somehow, but then losing as Italy next week. Like all all results are possible with the Wallabies at the moment. Um, just to close off on this, um, a big um, return to form for Michael Hooper. And yeah, he's obviously returned from the team from taking a, a personal mental health break. And he, you know, <laughs> as Michael Hooper does, he, he, he put in a really good performance. Jared, um, you know, I thought Michael Hooper would be eased in a little bit and, you know, would sort of get a game or two just to get his feet go, um, under him. But obviously that, that man is not human and he's able to just walk into a test match with very little preparation. Yeah, 100%. And uh, yeah, he would have uh, kept himself fit. And I think he said as much, uh, like he returned back and his first day off, he was out uh, running just to keep fit. So yeah, he, he's a hell of a player, a hell of an athlete. And yeah, I, I, like when last did Michael Hooper really have a bad game for the Wallabies? Like it, even when he's got yellow carded or red carded, he was at a stage one of the most... Uh, Sinbin players in world rugby 2001 like, maybe oh, that maybe, 10 minutes maybe 1992 was the last time he had a bad game ever yeah. exactly yeah he, he, he just constantly he's brilliant constantly so i i wasn't too shocked about that it's great to see him back um especially when he's not play uh when he's not playing against the springboks it's always nice to watch him play um so yeah i, I he, and he even outplayed Watson. I'll just throw it out there. Like, I think Jamie Ritchie maybe got the better of him, but he definitely outplayed Hamish Watson. Uh, fully agreed. Big shout out also to Len Ikitao. He had a great game in defense and yeah, he made some some breaks for, for the Wallabies in the back line. Nick White, we've talked about him cleaning up things and just, yeah, I think he performed quite well. He definitely should start um, over either McDermott or, or Gordon. And yeah, Jamie Ritchie, his first... I think his first game or second game as captain for Scotland and he played really well himself. So I think there were some good performances there. Also, yeah, actually for a Saffir's abroad angle, Pierre Schumann or Schumann was really good on, on Sunday, on Saturday, Jared. He, I think he had two turnover turnovers, one and another turnover penalty. Yeah. And he, I think he was pretty solid in the scrum as well. So yeah, I, I thought he was great. Um, I quite like the impact that Vieppe now had as well. He seemed to want to get the ball in hand as much as possible, whether that's a good idea or, or, or not um, is another conversation. But uh, I, th I thought he was also very good off of the bench. Um, Tala, I, I do want to hear your thoughts on uh, Tom Banks because uh, you, know, you mentioned Ikita on, on the good side of the Wallabies. <laughs> but uh, I don't know, how do you feel about Tom Banks? 
Oy, you know, I'm calling him now ACT Andre Scotia. Like, you know, I don't know if it's that. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't think he's bad. Like, like same with Scotia. I don't think he's bad, but I think he makes bad decisions. And yeah, there's just some things where Banks and, and does. When, and just and like, when he what? is bad, he's really bad. Yes. <laughs> so just like really like compounds on him. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. I tell you, he's he's up and down with what he. Uh, with what he what he does but he's mm. like when he he played some games where he was doing the business and then um and then he seemed to kind of cement his way in and then just kind of faded off and away and like has been continuing to play but just carries on playing badly yeah i think we will have to see yeah i think we'll have to see what um dave rennie does um going forward with the fullback position because yeah, I don't think Banks is the one to carry you forward. Some Australians have talked about getting um, Jock Campbell in um, at fullback. Obviously, he's only played um, off the bench in this test. Um, you can play Andrew Killaway there. Um, <clears throat> I think a lot of Australians are cited about, um, yo, I'm going to butcher his name now, but Mark Nawakanti Nawase, um, the, the, the one of the one. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. <laughs> He's, yeah, so I think he has a lot of fans there as well. So we'll have to see how, yeah, Rennie manages it because Banks can't be the the, the future. Um, Sean, I think let's let's um move on to the to the to the women's rugby world cup. Just quickly, just going through the results. Um, yeah, good wins for France. They beat Italy 39 points to three. They did struggle in the first half, and only it seemed like Italy was able to just keep themselves in the game for the first 60 minutes and it was only 10 points to three and it looked like maybe it just wouldn't be France's day because they were just finding ways to not score tries. And then um, France just pulled away in the last quarter. Um, England on the, on the Sunday beat Australia by 41 points to five. Of course, the England machine just keeps going on. Canada won 32 points to 11 against the USA. So England and Canada will face each other in the one semi. And they, the host, the Black Ferns, they're going to face France in the other semi, the Black Ferns winning 55 points to three. Sean, I, I think you had an eye on this match. Um, a big match in terms of records. Portia Woodman becoming the highest try scorer in World Cup, rugby World Cup history. So that's both for men and women. And yeah, I think a, just a great game for the, for the Black Ferns backline. I think the likes of Fitzpatrick and DeMont and uh, Ruby Tui were just awesome on Saturday. Yeah, they they're a, they're a machine. Just just on on things, um, I was very very surprised with with England's routes of Australia. I thought Australia would put up more of a fight, um, but other than that, the results kind of seemed to go the way that most people expected. I think that was the only blot that I was surprised about. But yeah, New Zealand Wales, I tell you, they are yeah. Aisha on the one wing, Portia on the other wing, and Ruby at fullback is absolutely deadly. And they have options. They've got the the, the Black Ferns have options in the back line. They've um, they can move people around. They've they've got you know they've got other centers to use that didn't even make the match day twenty three. So they're really really in a good space. It's all pretty much setting up for um, the final that we're all hoping for, New Zealand uh, versus England. Um, but um, Sarah Hirini, Hirini is um, an absolute machine as well. She's been 
performing nonstop. She's an, a beast. She's a beast flanker. And I tell you, I'm just super impressed with the, with, with the Kiwis. They, um, all of them, all of the black ferns talk about like what, how their eyes have been opened to the game with the coaching staff. What, what they're speaking about is, is different. Um, the things that they've been exposed to the thought process, like how to manage things. They're looking at the game differently. So you've got these talented individuals that were that and and are of the best in the world in in the women's game and they're all looking at this rugby and this training and this new world of of that's being exposed to them like excited kids that want to want to sort it out and that's dangerous for me that's flipping dangerous they've got so many things like the story around them going all the way and winning would be one of the greatest stories it would rival um, the Springboks winning the 1995 World Cup, I feel, um, in terms of, of a story. And I think England are in for uh, um, um, a problem. I really do. And um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what New Zealand bring on, on Saturday in the semifinal. The, the Black Ferns are on very much, they're, they're growing week by week. So, yeah, we're, we're in for a great um, final, final two weeks. Yeah. Cooks, we are still online or on um, uh, in course for that New Zealand-England final. But, I mean, England and Canada will be a tough match, I think, but England should be favourites. New Zealand-France will be very interesting. I don't think the, 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 French, uh, the French women's team will be very easy to beat. I think they've, they've got a really competitive pack of forwards. They've got a backline that can produce some magic. But, yeah, I think that New Zealand-England final matchup is the one everyone wants. It's like kind of like that, you know, when you have a World Cup and you want uh, a football World Cup and you want Brazil and Argentina to face each other. You want these two titans to go against each other. You definitely do. It's like when, when, whenever it's a rugby, well, the men's World Cup, you always want the Springboks and the All Blacks to meet in the final. Then something always happens. There's a sneaky feeling for me where I worry about the, the upsets always due. I always feel like in these big tournaments that there normally is one big, one big upset in the playoffs, and I think that could be the New Zealand France game. I think England will, will probably. I, it, it's it's funny how you know in this tournament. I mean, yes, England has been dominating. I mean, their scores have looked good, but sometimes you sort of you look, you look at the comments on Twitter about the performances and they and like, oh, like they're not looking as convincing as they, as as they, as they should be. They 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 like especially in the first game against Fiji. I mean. Hands up, I mean, they didn't win by 80 points, but I mean, like it's the way they've been playing at the moment, they've been steamrolling side so long. I wouldn't be surprised to see them. I know Canada is a strong side, and I think it's going to be a great game, but I think England should be too strong. But I think, uh, oh, I think if there is an upset, it could come in the New Zealand France game. And, um, like I really want to see watch New Zealand versus England. I think that that could arguably, I think it probably will be the biggest game of rugby this year. And, um, and I think for, for spectators' point of view, and the, and the Walker's point of view, I think that will be the most perfect ending. New Zealand at home, England with a streak. It, it sounds like a, like a WWE sort of sort of connotation for the trophy. I think that's the sort of that's the ending that everyone wants to see. So the big, is the are the Blackfoots um, Brock Lesnar? <laughs> <laughs> the Blackfoots are definitely Brock Lesnar. I think you might have to get um, Limbisca to do sort of a promo version like they did for Steve Austin versus The Rock, <laughs> just to just to set the tone for that game. 
Yeah, uh, Jen, so I, I did have a listen to the podcast that you guys had the, the last week about talking about the Women's World Cup. And uh, yeah, thanks for hanging me out to dry and pretty much kicking me off the podcast. And yeah, thanks for letting me come back this week. But uh, if, if I can just throw my two <laughs> cents Lela, in Lela there. Lela was, Lela was busy this week, Jared. Sorry. Lela wasn't uh, able, able to do a podcast on the Monday. Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to <laughs> fill in, Jen. I'm happy to fill in. But I think everyone's... I, I'm going to throw my two cents out there, and um, it's helped by the fact that uh, Tyler said he has a good feeling about Italy um, upsetting the French, and that went completely pear-shaped for him. So a good 30 points in a semi-final is uh, quite a nice buffer for me to have. But I think everyone's sleeping on Canada, and if there is one team that's going to surprise England, I think it can, it can be Canada. So... I'm going to say Canada is going to make the World Cup final in England streak, just like that. And uh, we have a Canada, New Zealand final. Spicy. This is why, Jared, you just can keep your job bent and Layla will have to wait a, 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 at least a few more weeks before taking over your spot. Yeah, I, I, I can't just jump on the bandwagon with you, Oaks. Eh? I have to give some sort of extra <laughs> feedback. <laughs> Yeah, I think on the other hand, you can definitely say the same about the Black Ferns, that they're going to have their first big, um, they, 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 yeah, facing their first strong opponent of this World Cup when they face the, the French. Um, obviously, if we look back at the November tour that the Black Ferns took, they were beaten by the French by 30, 40 points, or, and, and the second test they've been by 25 points. So, yeah, there's going to be a big contest, and I think we'll see what the difference is between, you know, the Black Ferns, they were obviously playing their first test matches post-COVID and everything, and now they have Wayne Smith and and Ted and pretty much the whole of the 2011-2015 um, World Cup um, squad helping them out. Let's see what the dif- what difference they, they can make into the team. So I think there's going to be a lot. Yeah, I, I think these these two matches, both of them will be quality, and I think whatever, either way, there'll be some sort of final. But yeah, Cooks, I, I'm... I'm also worried that there's going to be a surprise and I don't want it to happen now because we're so close to that, um, you know, ideal final um, from happening. But yeah, I think there is a very strong possibility that either Canada or France can spoil the party. But yeah, at least with France, if they win and England wins, we still get a a, a La Crunch happening. So that's definitely a good second prize. But yeah, (laughs) Canada making it will be a bit random for everyone else. I, I've got Canada, uh, vibes with Canada. I've got like that Australia 2015 vibes from them. Like nobody uh, talks them up and then all of a sudden they're in the final. Boom. Like, let's go. <laughs> Just to f- um, finish off with the, with the podcast, we're not going to go into detail because we're going to hopefully have another pod later this week um, previewing everything. But yeah, just to focus our eyes on the Springbok squad, as Jared mentioned, the only injury concerns are to Marco van Staden and Smogorsi. So for all intents and purposes, we should be able to play our best 23 um, on Saturday. I'll, I'll just ask each of the boys, yeah, so that when the pod comes out after the team, we can all look like fools. I'll just ask each of the uh, each of the guys for like their one sort of like sneaky surprise, like either tactic or selection that they would do um, for to play Ireland. Like mine would have been if Van Staden was um, fit, I would have actually played him and Quaha Smith in the and uh, off the bench. And then just have a lot of fetches on for for the bomb squad and just try to put pressure on the Irish ruck and try to slow down their their quick ball. Um, but yeah, uh, let me start with Jared. What would be your sneaky surprise um, tactic? Uh, or selection? Uh, 
Maybe, maybe it's not really a tactic, but yeah, his sneaky selection is uh, Jason Jenkins in the team and uh, Sasha as well. Those will be my two sneaky selections. Um, and both of them on the bench. It sounds a bit boring, but uh, yeah. And throw the big... Uh, uh, starts with uh, Kitsov, Marks and Mahoba. I think that has to happen this weekend. Yeah, especially against probably Furlong, um, Porter and, and Dan Sheehan. I know Furlong is struggling with an injury, but yeah, that I think we'll probably need to play fire with fire with our front row. Cooks, I think you are definitely excited about the 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 Willemse, um Colby and, and LaRue link up happening on Saturday. Would that be your sneak or surprise tactic? Yeah, I think that that that, that would have been mine. Um obviously Phillips, uh, Willie and Colby starting, but another one that I think Tello, I think we, I had as another one for me is having a five three split. Sort of, I know I know the, the box have gone six two most of the year, and then sort of have five Manila Bok and and Curly Orange on the bench. I, I do, I do think that um, with Franz staying probably out and, and Damien Villains are probably down to play, probably play down as down probably should play ten sort of ten this this weekend. I think it would. It's kind of hard to not have a second flyer from the bench. I do think that we could potentially see Damien Villas probably shift into 12 and, and Monobo coming in at 10. I, I think the island will give us a threat at the background. I think that I, I, I do have a sneaky feeling that there'll be points this weekend. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I would love to see a 5 3 split with, like I said, the, the hoopers got a hoop. So, I mean, if you're going to go from Villas. Vili uh, and Colby, and then off the bench with Curly Orange and Manu Lebok, I'll, I'll be a very, very, a very, very happy man. Jared, um, you just mentioned on the chat that um, there's talks about Ches and Colby playing at fullback and Curly Orange are playing at wing. I mean, that would be surprising. No, for sure. Um, yeah, it's it's quite interesting that they um going for Colby at fullback. They say it could happen against France and Ireland. So let's see. Um, I. I'm not against the situation at all. Um, I prefer Colby as a winger, but uh, he's he's solid and uh, he's got the skill set to be a fullback. So I, I'm quite happy if he carries on there. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I agree with Sean. I think uh, Ninova has found his scrum half in uh, Jaden Hendricks. Uh, and uh, I think he will be starting with uh, with Buff on the bench or even Ranach on the bench. And then yeah, last question just to wrap things up. Yeah, the other matches we're not we're gonna like we said talk about it a bit more detail over the week. But um Scotland's playing Fiji, Wales versus New Zealand, France against Australia, and England versus Argentina. And you'd probably say that the all the Southern Hemisphere teams are underdogs. Yeah, so I think there's gonna be a lot of rugby to look forward to. We've talked um about it about the RC. There's still premiership and top 14 that's happening um over the course of the next few weeks. Women's rugby world cup is coming to a crescendo. And the Autumn International Series is starting. So a lot of rugby to look forward to. Thank you so much for listening on, on, on the Rugby Bits podcast. Please follow us on Twitter. Please follow us on our social media channels. And we will see you hopefully later this week. Bye-bye.